Just a quick heads up that I am currently on maternity leave, which means that the Fertility Co podcast is taking a break. But please don't panic because I'm already working on some exciting things behind the scenes. And when I come back, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you a brand new, completely free mini course all about ovulation and finding your fertile window. In the meantime, there are still heaps of ways that you can continue to learn about your fertility and your menstrual cycle while I take a break. If you're just getting started with charting your cycle, you can check out my free fertility roadmap. If you want to dive deeper and learn exactly when you're ovulating, then you can watch my Fix Your Fertility Masterclass. There is, of course, also my Conceive with Confidence workshop series and, of course, my flagship online program, Fertility School. If you want individualized support from a trained fertility educator, that's me, then you can book in to my wait list for a one-on-one consult. And I would love to work with you to achieve your fertility goals in 2024. Spots are strictly limited though. And links to all of those resources are in the show notes. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Mira Fertility. Mira is the hormone lab that fits in the palm of your hand. Mira uses patent-pending AI technology to track your body's key fertility hormones, luteinizing hormone, estrogen, progesterone, and follicle-stimulating hormone. Tracking your cycles with Mira allows you to conceive faster, understand your hormone health, and predict perimenopause and menopause. How does Mira help to track ovulation? Mira measures actual fertility hormone concentrations with 99% accuracy. Mira is unlike other fertility trackers. It's like having your own mini lab at home because Mira uses similar technology to the fertility lab. With the power of AI, Mira learns about your cycle and gives you personalized and accurate insights about your ovulation and fertility window. And yes, it works for those with irregular cycles and PCOS. Mira syncs your data automatically and eliminates the guesswork. Head to miracare.com and use the code FertilityCo for $40 off all Mira kits and bundles. I'm Rachel and I'm obsessed with all things periods, pregnancy, pelvic floor and helping women just like you to navigate all of life's major milestones. I'm a physiotherapist and natural fertility educator and my passion is teaching women how to take control of their health. Fertility, pregnancy, nutrition and menstrual cycle health will dive deep into all of it right here. All those questions you've been secretly Googling, all those things you're too embarrassed to ask your doctor because, well, we're women. Shouldn't we just know this stuff? So get comfy and get ready to finally have all of your questions answered. Hit subscribe now and let me teach you what they never taught us in health class. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I've got a good one for you today. We are talking safe and healthy exercise for preconception and early pregnancy. Now, it's no secret that exercise is good for us, but here's the thing that not a lot of people out there are actually talking about, but I'm sure that you are probably feeling it or thinking it. How the F do you exercise when trying to conceive or in early pregnancy? This is keeping people really stuck because so many women aren't sure how to do it safely. They tend to err on the side of caution and they don't do anything at all, which isn't ideal. And then we have another group of women who are potentially overdoing it. 
which also is an ideal. So in this episode, I am sharing my fast and furious tips on how to exercise during that preconception window when you might be wondering if, when, and how you should be exercising, as well as how to exercise safely during the early pregnancy and that first trimester. So let's start by talking about exercise, body fat, and hormone balance. So Movement is an essential component of preconception care and pregnancy. Not only does establishing a regular exercise routine now set up healthy habits for life, it optimizes your fertility, it improves outcomes for a healthy pregnancy, and it also prepares your body for the physical demands of labor, birth, and postpartum recovery. We know exercise is good for our bodies, but it seems that too many women are at opposite extremes of the spectrum. Either they're completely sedentary and not getting nearly enough exercise, or they're gym junkies and putting their bodies through excessive stress during their workouts, neither of which are really great for our hormone balance. Regular, moderate intensity exercise is essential for maintaining a healthy lifestyle, regardless of whether or not you're trying to conceive, but only about 30% of the population is actually doing enough exercise to gain health benefits. With that said, 20% of adults are entirely inactive. So the current World Health Organization guidelines recommend that adults aged between 18 and 64 should be doing at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic physical activity throughout the week. That's about half an hour a day, as well as strength training on at least two days. Let's start by talking about a lot of the population. 70% of the population, which is a little bit frightening, we're talking about high body fat and inactivity. So women who are mostly inactive are at increased risk of being overweight. That sort of goes without needing a bit too much of an explanation. Fat cells contribute almost one third of total estrogen in the body, which means that body fat has a significant effect on our estrogen levels and therefore the menstrual cycle and our overall hormone balance. If our body fat percentage is too high, there will be a greater amount of fat cells in adipose tissue producing excess estrogen. This can lead to an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone levels, and this can present as estrogen dominance, which I've talked a lot about in recent episodes. This can reduce the ability of estrogen to bind to its receptors and communicate with other hormones throughout the body. Excessive adipose tissue will also have an effect on egg quality and contribute to irregular menstrual cycles and reduced fertility, as well as other long-term health effects like heart disease, stroke, and diabetes. Conversely, though, if your percentage body fat is too low, the body is going to perceive that it's in a stressed state. So... It's not a case of you're not doing anything, do more in all cases. Some women are doing too much for their cycle health and their fertility. So while progesterone is mainly produced by the ovaries, a small amount is also produced by our adrenal glands. This progesterone is then converted to other hormones, including the hormone cortisol, which is one of our main stress hormones. Cortisol helps to manage digestion, it regulates hunger and food cravings, as well as regulating blood pressure, sleep and wake cycles, but most importantly, it regulates our ability to cope with stress. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid, meaning its main job is to raise our blood sugar levels. It also regulates inflammation and increases blood pressure so that our heart can pump blood to our muscles to ultimately protect us from danger or perceived danger in the form of stress. 
Think of fight, flight, or freeze mode and think about running away from a lion. We need blood pumping to our muscles so our muscles can help us to run away and survive. Cortisol is also a catabolic hormone and it breaks down muscle tissue. So consistently elevated levels of cortisol is going to negatively impact our muscle mass and our strength, as well as our metabolism, our body shape, as well as contributing to increased weight gain. So if you're running for hours and hours on a treadmill at high intensities and noticing that you're not losing weight or increasing your weight that you're gaining, you could fall into this category. Why? It's all because of stress, our adrenals, and our fertility. So the adrenal glands are very sensitive to any stress that the body is exposed to, and it's going to adjust the body's response to stress by producing cortisol in whatever amount is required. Excess cortisol production is going to put our body into that fight, flight, or freeze mode and switches off any non-essential activities to prioritize survival. This includes the communication pathways between the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the ovaries, called the HPO axis, which means that sex hormone production is not going to be prioritized and ovulation is unlikely to occur. This can lead to conditions like hypothalamic amenorrhea. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, we are constantly under stress, under pressure. We are highly stressed, always switched on, and almost continually in this fight, flight, or freeze mode. The body is designed to be in a stressed state for only short bursts of time. So chronic stress will impact our hormone balance and contribute to irregular menstrual cycles, as well as PMS symptoms and weight gain. Maintaining hormone balance in the body is a delicate balancing act, and any disruption to one hormone is going to influence another. Under stress, the body is going to convert that progesterone to cortisol, therefore reducing progesterone levels relative to our estrogen levels and once again creating that estrogen dominance. If ovulation doesn't occur in the menstrual cycle or if the body is attempting to ovulate multiple times before it's successful, the follicular phase becomes longer than what is typical and further contributes to those high estrogen levels as the body prepares to ovulate over and over and over. Relatively low progesterone levels will mean that when ovulation does occur, the luteal phase is often too short for the cycle to be considered fertile. If the luteal phase is less than 10 days, then there is not enough time for a fertilized egg to travel to the uterus and implant into the endometrium. This reduces the chances of implantation occurring and increases the risk of miscarriage. So how can we use movement and exercise to our advantage while also keeping our stress response and cortisol levels under control? Funnily enough, moving your body can have positive effects on your cortisol levels, but only if you're exercising in the right way. The time of day is going to influence the type of movement that's appropriate, as well as the phase of the menstrual cycle that you are in on any given day. Moving your body first thing in the morning has been shown to help get those stress hormones to their peak and then flush them out of your body. Later in the day and before bed can spike those cortisol levels and leave you feeling really wired, which means you might have difficulty sleeping and it's hard to switch off. Walking is the very best form of movement that is suitable for all fitness levels and can be continued into pregnancy pretty safely. Walking outdoors in nature is, of course, preferable to being on a treadmill or using similar gym equipment like a cross trainer, and it has that added benefit of the vitamin D boost, which is essential for preconception. 
if you want to work up more of a sweat, aim for short, sharp, higher intensity workouts earlier in the day that can help to manage your mood, stress, sleep, and overall hormone balance. If you're exercising later in the day, switch to a lighter exercise like yoga and include stretching for recovery. So the key to protecting your hormones is to avoid long workouts at high intensities like endurance running. Instead, opt for shorter, high intensity workouts or longer workouts at lower intensities. Your recovery is just as important as your workout. So make sure you're scheduling recovery between days of high intensity exercise and avoid doing high intensity workouts every day. So no more than around four days a week and give your body time to rest. Changing how you exercise according to each phase of your menstrual cycle can further support this hormone balance. Acknowledging that your menstrual cycle and the menstrual phase is a time to rest and recover can initially be really hard if you're conditioned to consistently high-intensity workouts. But consider that you're losing blood during this phase. You often experience lower energy and estrogen and progesterone levels are both quite low. So listen to your body, slow down, Make time to rest and recover. This is the phase of your cycle where you should be reducing the intensity of your workouts and choosing gentle walking, yoga, stretching, and recovery. Once bleeding finishes and your body enters the follicular phase and starts to approach ovulation, you're going to start feeling pretty good. Your energy will increase, you'll feel generally happier, and you're less likely to experience the mood changes that can be really common during menstruation. You can now start to increase your exercise intensity and work up a sweat with cardio or high-intensity interval training. Use this extra energy to really challenge yourself. Your mood and your energy is going to continue to improve as you approach ovulation. After all, the body is programmed to improve our chances of pregnancy, so we need energy to look for a mate and reproduce. We're also likely to be more socially outgoing around ovulation and experience that increased libido. So this is the time to enjoy a high-intensity workout, and your body will actually be more efficient at burning calories and using fats for energy too. Be careful, however, because all this added energy and motivation can lead to overdoing things, so make sure you're paying attention to your technique to prevent accidents and injuries too. After ovulation, we're entering the luteal phase, which is the longest phase of the menstrual cycle. And as menstruation starts to approach as the luteal phase comes to an end, this is the time when many women are going to start experiencing those traditional PMS symptoms if their hormones are out of balance. So that's your headaches, breast tenderness, cramping, as well as reduced energy and concentration, fatigue, mood changes, anxiety, and depression. So when you begin to notice a change in your energy levels or a swing towards any of these symptoms, recognize that menstruation may be approaching and the intensity of your workouts should start to be reduced. This can be a really challenging time when you're trying to conceive too, because you're in your two-week wait and you're agonizing over every tiny symptom and deliberating when to take a pregnancy test. If you're not pregnant, it's perfectly understandable to feel disappointed and experience those low moods and energy when your next period does arrive. So, Honor this time, acknowledge it, prioritize self-care and rest, and don't feel like you have to get in a workout when you're mentally feeling a bit flat too. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, 
body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. So that's how to exercise according to your menstrual cycle and when you're trying to conceive. So now I want to talk a little bit about safe exercise during pregnancy and especially in that first trimester where a lot of women are worried that they're overdoing it and they're not sure how to exercise when they're in those early weeks of pregnancy. So first of all, women that exercise often actually feel better about themselves and they're changing bodies during pregnancy. But three out of four pregnant women aren't getting enough exercise. That's a bit scary. Three out of four women. So 20 to 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise most days of the week has enormous benefits in helping the body to cope with those increased demands on the muscles, the joints, the heart and the lungs, and to help you to prepare for labor and birth. So the guidelines for safe exercise during pregnancy don't actually change much according to the general exercise guidelines. You should, of course, consult a healthcare provider before starting a new exercise plan or if you're new to exercise, another reason to build those healthy habits before pregnancy, and make sure you've addressed any problems or discomforts that you might have during pregnancy and check if you should be taking any special precautions. Pregnancy is not the time to be trying a new and strenuous activity for the first time, but you can start exercising during pregnancy. Aim to start gently with some low impact exercise like walking or swimming. And some women prefer to wait until the second trimester once morning sickness and fatigue have settled, but there is no risk in starting in the first trimester if you're feeling good and you're feeling up to it. If you're new to exercise, you might like to start with just 10 to 15 minutes, gradually build up to that 20 to 30 minutes a day. So some of the benefits of exercising during pregnancy are, like I said, improved self-esteem and feeling about the changes happening to your body, preparing your body and your mind for the demands of labor, which is hard work, harder than a workout I've ever done. It also reduces depression and anxiety and improves your recovery after giving birth. It reduces your risk of pain or discomfort or musculoskeletal conditions during pregnancy. It increases your energy levels during pregnancy and improves your muscle strength and your tone. It can reduce the incidence of leg cramps and swelling. It can improve your posture because we know that your posture and your center of gravity changes significantly as your belly grows. It can help you to control pregnancy weight gain and reduces overall body fat. It improves your circulation, which helps to reduce the risk of things like varicose veins and hemorrhoids. It promotes more restful sleep and reduces fatigue, which is really important when you're pregnant. And it also improves your digestion, your bowel movements. It helps with constipation. It reduces your risk of gestational diabetes and it better controls your blood sugar levels. And it reduces your risk of preeclampsia and actually increases your chances of giving birth vaginally. In terms of labor, it's Exercise has shown to actually promote a shorter duration of labor with a reduced risk of complications. You're often less vulnerable to the stresses of late pregnancy and labor. 
and there's actually a reduced risk of umbilical cord entanglement, a reduced risk of stress-induced meconium release during labour, and often results in lighter and leaner babies compared to non-exercising mothers too, which can then go on to have effects to babies' growth and development as they enter childhood, adolescence, and adulthood as well. So let's talk specifically about exercise during the first trimester. So the first trimester refers to the first 10 weeks after conception or the first 12 weeks after the first day of your last period. So this is the window of really significant change where cells are growing and differentiating very quickly to form tissues, organs, and entire body systems. The hormonal changes that occur during early pregnancy are going to impact how your body systems will operate throughout your pregnancy. So it's usually these hormone changes that cause those common and unpleasant symptoms that you experience during the first trimester. So the nausea, dizziness, and fatigue. Exercise can stimulate early growth of the placenta, which helps your body to better adapt to pregnancy and improve your symptoms too. Because as soon as the placenta kicks in and starts to provide all of that nourishment for baby, we tend to start feeling a little bit better. Exercising during the first trimester can be a challenge and full disclosure, I did not exercise during my first trimester. I did not start exercising until about 16 weeks when my nausea went away, but I tell you when I started, I absolutely loved it and I don't think I've ever enjoyed exercising and moving my body so much in my life as I did when that nausea went away and I felt good again. So in the first trimester, your blood volume increases, blood pressure decreases. And so this combination can make you more prone to that low energy, feeling dizzy, getting a bit of a rapid heart rate and feeling short of breath when you're exercising. So women who exercise regularly pre-pregnancy may actually notice these changes during their workouts before actually realizing that they're pregnant. And so this can be a really early sign for you. Morning sickness and fatigue can make exercising obviously less than appealing, but many women do find that even 10 to 15 minutes of gentle exercise like walking can temporarily relieve their symptoms and give them a much needed energy boost. So this is what I did. I did not do a formalized workout in any way, but I would go for walks with my husband and the dog and I'd stop every once in a while to have a cheeky spew in the bushes and would carry on. And it was a slow walk. It was a very gentle walk, but it did make me feel better. Your pregnancy, of course, is a priority at this time. So use your common sense and be guided how you feel. If your fatigue or your nausea is so extreme that you can't make it through a a workout, you can't walk around the block, then take it easy. Take it easy for a couple of weeks until your symptoms start to settle because they will settle. I promise you when you're in the depths of morning sickness, you feel like it's going to go on forever and ever. It does get better and you don't need to feel guilty if you're not doing anything in that time. Before or during exercise, it's really important to take note of how you're feeling. So any injuries you may have, make sure you don't have an illness or a fever. And of course, make sure you're monitoring for things like vaginal bleeding or cramping, any sudden onset of new pain, especially around the abdomen or the pelvis. So something that's really important is to prevent overheating your body. So you want to avoid exercising in hot or humid conditions and stay hydrated. So if you're you know, if it's summertime, if you're in a hot, a warm environment, 
exercising in the morning, not exercising in the middle of the day, not exercising in the direct heat and the direct sunlight, drinking lots of water as well. So hydration is essential for maintaining that stable cardiovascular system, especially during early pregnancy when those changes to blood volume and blood pressure haven't yet sorted themselves out. So maintain regular fluid and salt intake throughout the day and especially during exercise. So check the color of your urine for dehydration. So it should be light yellow or straw colored and don't exercise if you think you may be dehydrated because that will just be exacerbating your symptoms. Time eating with exercise as well to help maintain a stable blood sugar and minimize any of those symptoms like nausea and dizziness. So eating a small snack of complex carbohydrates about an hour before exercising and eating another small snack immediately after exercising can be really helpful to keep those blood sugar levels a bit more consistent. Ideally, you'd like to exercise in the morning, drink a liquid snack during exercise. So this might be a smoothie or it might just be some water followed by a small breakfast that's really rich in complex carbs. And you want to eat regularly as well, at least every four hours, and this will help to feel better. It is really important to avoid excessive fatigue in pregnancy too. So both exercise and rest are equally important. A really good way to make sure that you're getting that balance of activity and rest is to do one hour of rest time or one hour of me time, if you can fit that in, for every hour of movement and exercise that you do. So if you're going for a half an hour walk, prioritize half an hour lying down having a rest, something like that. For those of you who are already looking after small children, make sure you are keeping that energy reserve to look after your kids after your workout too. So you don't want to be going so hard that you've got nothing left in the tank to chase around another child for the rest of the day. So I hope you found this episode helpful. These are questions that come up a lot. A lot of women who are, you know, really active are are concerned and have a lot of questions about how hard can they go, especially when they're in that two-week wait and they're thinking about things like ovulation and implantation. It's a question I get asked all the time. And then there are other women who are really hesitant and reluctant to start doing anything because this isn't something that's in their regular routine. So I hope I've given you a little bit of information about why over-exercise and not exercising at all, why both of these options are not ideal for hormone balance and fertility. And if you are in early pregnancy or if you're currently trying to conceive and you've got questions about early pregnancy, I hope that's given you a little bit more clarity about how to go about exercising in that time frame. Let's do a little bit of a recap about what we talked about. So we talked about exercise, body fat, and hormone balance. So we talked about high body fat and inactivity and why this is not great for hormone balance. And we also talked about low body fat and excessive exercise and why that is not great for hormone balance. And that all ties in with stress, the adrenals, and your fertility and the effects that cortisol levels has on your progesterone and your estrogen levels, as well as on that HBO axis. We also talked about how to adapt exercise to honor your menstrual cycle and that rest during the bleeding phase is incredibly important. And then finally, we talked about safe exercise during pregnancy, a whole lot of benefits for you and baby during pregnancy. And of course, we wrapped up with talking about how to exercise safely during that first trimester. 
So I hope you found this episode helpful. I'm trying to incorporate a little bit more pregnancy information during these episodes at your request. So let me know if this is something that you're interested in learning a little bit more about. You can get today's show notes with everything that I talked about in this episode, as well as links to related episodes and other freebies at fertilityco.com.au forward slash 59. Huge thank you to Mirror Fertility for sponsoring this episode. You can get more information about Mirror at the show notes or at fertilityco.com.au forward slash Mirror. That's M-I-R-A. Bye for now. And don't forget that knowledge is power. When you truly understand your body, you are empowered to make informed decisions and take control of your health. Until next time. If you've made it this far, you deserve a huge virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Fertility Co. podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday, so make sure you hit subscribe now so you don't miss when the latest goes live. Why not make my day and leave me a quick rating and review while you're over there? If you want more, head on over to Instagram at Fertility Co., slide on into my DMs and say hello, or you can visit fertilityco.com.au forward slash podcast for show notes and access to all of the freebies that I talked about in this episode. Until next time. Let's talk about TempDrop. TempDrop's wearable sensor and accompanying charting app brings the full fertility tracking solution right to your phone. Wear the TempDrop sensor on your upper arm during sleep and then just sync to the charting app whenever it's convenient for you. TempDrop believes that every woman should be empowered and equipped with the knowledge to take control of their body. Sound familiar? That's where TempDrop steps in to provide clear, science-backed technology to help you to better track your cycle. I only recommend products that I use and love, and I love my TempDrop tracker. You can get 10% off your tracker with the code AFFertilityCo or head to fertilityco.com.au forward slash TempDrop for more information.